There's a popular saying that if you're not on Google, do you really exist? But if we also look at all the other things that Google is involved in, you'll notice that one of the things that comes up on a regular basis is Google ads and advertising. And in many cases, both social media and to be found on Google is almost a pay to play environment. And my guest today, Amit Cabra, is a specialist in not just Google advertising, but pay-per-click advertising overall. And she provides a lot of interesting insights and ideas around how real estate investors and business owners can use pay-per-click uh, advertising to build their brands and their businesses. All that after the break. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking PPC and there's nothing to do with plastics or anything. Perhaps kick <laughs> us off and tell us a little bit about bigger picture from the 2000 feet or 20,000 feet. What is C? And then we can get into a little bit of detail as to how that might be relevant to people listening today. So PPC is an acronym for pay per click. So it's basically an advertising channel in the sense. So we pay per click. So it, yeah, it's pretty it's kind of self-explanatory, but not really all at the same time. So things like Google ads, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you see an ad online, when someone clicks on your ad is essentially when you pay for it. And it's a really great way outside of traditional where you're basically paying per impressions. Really at this point, when you put up a billboard, you're paying, let's say $10,000 for it. You don't really know how many eyes are going to see it. They have a guess, but you don't really know how many people are actually going to come through and actually look at your website, call you, and then eventually convert. Where with pay-per-click, we're able to see how many people have seen your ad, but then also how many people click through and how many people actually converted. So it's actually much more, I th personally, obviously I'm biased, a better way of advertising really at this point, especially if you want to get more eyes on something. Billboards are great. They give you brand awareness, but tying it back to actual revenue is incredibly hard. Where with pay-per-click, we don't really have those issues as long as you're able to uh, implement something called conversion tracking on your website, which is essentially the act of making sure that when somebody submits a lead, we know that it came to us essentially through like Google Analytics. And then we're able to import that data back into the platform that we're using, which helps us make better decisions on what ads need to be running and what needs to be turned off. And I hope that I explained that well. Yes. Yeah. No, and it's funny because I heard somebody say about billboard advertising versus pay-per-click and the way that we even interact and the way we're behaving in cars, apart from the driver, hopefully they are watching the road. Yeah. <laughs> but the passenger is much more likely to be looking at a pay-per-click ad on a phone than they are at the billboard that they've just driven by. And I think that <laughs> for me, when I heard that, I thought, oh yeah, that makes total sense. And, yeah, and you I don't mentioned... remember any billboard that I've seen anytime in the last month or two, you, I couldn't even tell you what I've seen. Yeah, I could almost say I've seen a, a realtor's billboard or a the, the lawyers for the personal injury lawyers 
but I yeah. couldn't tell you who it was. I, yeah, totally I just, fair. Because <laughs> I see them. That's about the only two people I think use billboards anymore. But So you mentioned the different platforms. Am I right in thinking there's two options for pay-per-click? One is the impression. You can pay by the eyeball or you can pay by the click, or is that no yeah. longer? No, it's still true. There's a number of methods really at this point. So you can pay per view, which is essentially video views. You can pay per impression if you wanted to as well. And that you don't pay per impression, you pay per every thousand impressions essentially. And then there is pay-per-click as well. So that's when somebody clicks on your ad and then you move forward from there. But I'm guessing pay-per-click is more effective because you're for certain that they've somebody's taken an action versus yeah. they've just scrolled past the ad, which is quite possible with an impression or a view. Yeah. When people are talking about pay-per-click, they encompass the impressions and the views and everything underneath that. But if we're segmenting it that way, yeah, the PEC side of things where you're actually paying per click is I personally what I think is the most um, most effective really at this point. Is that, but it really depends on what your company's goals are. So a lot of brands are just doing brand awareness because they might be a product. So they want people to go into stores and buy it. So Coca-Cola likely isn't tracking website purchases because they probably i don't know if they're selling anything on their website really at this point but i doubt that right. they are so for them they're paying for oppression because they want to make sure that everybody remembers them when they walk into that shopper's drug mart or into that save on foods or whatever grocery store that they're walking into versus a pepsi or a dr pepper and so for the real estate investor listening what are the reasons that they should consider pay-per-click advertising maybe they've never advertised anything before or they've spent very little on any type of advertising. What are the, what are the basic advantages of pay-per-click? When we're talking about pay-per-click in terms of search, we're looking at people who are showing interest in your product already. They're putting whatever search query it is that's related to your field into Google and they're going, I'm looking for this specific thing. So then we already know that this person is somewhat aware of what the product is and what they're looking to do. They're literally just looking for an option at this point. So that's the benefit if we're talking about search, if we're talking about something like social media in terms of Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn as, as platforms to advertise on, it's a really great way to just find people that might not be aware of you, but also haven't quite started searching, but they're in that process of starting to search. All of these platforms have the creepiest ways of figuring out your information. It, I won't delve into it, but it like really gets really granular sometimes. So really having a two-pronged where you have a little bit of pooled audiences. So that's Facebook, Instagram, display advertising. And then you have a combination of something which we call warm audiences or hot on, which would be the search to bring them in. So oftentimes, and this is an argument that I have with a lot of clients all the time, where they'll be like, our display campaign's not doing anything. And I'll sit there and look at the data on the search side. And I'm like, yeah, but impressions have gone up. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, but it does. But it does. These people know your brand now. So now they're looking for you and what you're doing. So it they're correlated, even though display is not getting the credit for that conversion or that click or whatever, it's still part of that process. And in Google Analytics, or at least in the universal analytics, because there's a new one rolling out pretty soon, we're able to see what the path looks like for each person. So it might start organically. They might come to your website and say, hey, I'm looking for to sell my house for cash or something like And then they leave because they're just like, it's just a thought. And then eventually they'll go, hey, let me go back to that website. But they already remember your website, so they come back directly. And then again, they leave because they just need a little bit more time just to think about it. And then suddenly they see a display ad, so they click on it. Again, leave. Come back as a direct user. Again, leave. 
And you can actually just watch that entire process go through. And then sometimes you can actually figure out if there's commonalities between people who have converted the first time on a first page visit or on a third time page visit, and then try to figure out a perfect strategy. And also the one thing that I think a lot of people forget is that users need to see a brand about seven times before they even consider purchasing from them. So that's why we see those in and out dips quite a bit. So a lot of clients will be like, they should have figured it out right away. And I'm like, that's not how this works. And then I often go back to them and I'm like, okay, so you're about to buy a hundred, like you're about to drop a hundred thousand dollars on something. Like, are you really going to do it on the first try? And they'll often stop and sit there and be like, okay, wait, you're right. That's not going to happen. It's not a $10 item that can spend our money on, lose that money and be okay with it. A hundred grand is quite, it's going to take quite a bit of time to make that back. So we have to think about those things a little bit more, more seriously. And just like give you, give the, the business owner an opportunity to kind of tweak web copy based on okay so if they're landing on that page and they're not converting after the third or fourth visit or something then there's something potentially wrong with what's on your website and tweaking that might help increase conversion rates is that the kind of thing that is that the kind of extra benefit that you can get from this kind of data yeah and there's also tools like hotjar which actually record users while they're on your website um and i know that sounds creepy but it Again, just it's advertising. And basically what you can do is just actually watch these people literally just surf through your site and see if there's anything creating friction between you and that user. So sometimes for, for e-com businesses, it might be the length of their checkout process that a lot of them don't really think about. And they're like, well, you know what, this is good enough. It's fine. And then suddenly they're just like, why aren't people purchasing? Why are they dropping off at literally the checkout page and it might be you're asking one to many questions at one point when i had started my career so just years ago i was sitting down with somebody and we were talking about forms and his form i kid you not with maybe 30 questions oh gosh <laughs> and he sat there and wondered why nobody was converting and at that point we weren't really very sure honestly because like the internet was still relatively newish at that point. Advertising definitely was new at that point. I think at one point I had just suggested, I'm like, maybe let's try to bring it down to five. Let's ask five questions. If you get them on a phone call, ask the remaining 25 questions. And that's your problem at the end of the day, right? And he, he did that and obviously naturally saw conversions increase because you created less friction. Had we had a tool like Hotjar at that point, we could have had that information already to us pretty much immediately because it actually has the capability of watching forms as well. So that they'd be like, this is where people are dropping off on question number four or five or six or whatever it might be. So then at the very least, we can go back and be like, okay, here's the data. This form needs to be smaller. This form needs right. to do this. And now I, we don't necessarily need to do that anymore because we already know where people draw the line in terms of questionnaires, but it would have been a great tool 10 years ago for us to use and sit there and like, this is, this is the argument that we're presenting towards you. Now I can see keyword searching and searching generally makes total sense on Google. So pay-per-click there. Are people using social media channels like Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram the same way? Are they actually searching or are they tending to already know something or they have a rough idea of what they're there for, or they just happen to be there because they're checking up on what their friend is doing and then happen an ad comes up? Yeah, I think social media is still being used the way that it was intended to for let me post a picture of this random thing that I did. Let me talk about it in my stories. Obviously, there's more businesses flocking to Instagram, especially now and obviously LinkedIn as well. But I don't think a lot of people are going onto platforms to find 
new products or new services to to purchase at this point. I think it's just a matter of them stumbling through it and being like, okay, maybe I want to follow somebody in Google Ads so I can learn something new, but not necessarily in that space of I'm looking to those services from them or hire them to do X, Y, Z. But the interesting thing with Instagram these days is that they're starting to do more keyword focused type of searches. So you can actually, a lot of people I've been watching, I'm a little, I get a little obsessed with random little things and Instagram is one of them where I just watch social media managers and what they've been doing within their own posts. And the shift that I've seen a little bit, not a hundred percent quite yet, is people ditching hashtags and just putting in their keyword at the bottom just to see if performance would lift. It's not something that we've done internally because hashtags still perform relatively well for us in terms of, but that's something that's been I've been seeing happening. So I think what's really going to happen is that Instagram eventually going to turn into a search engine in itself as well, mm-hmm. especially if these people are continuing to go in and be like, I want to look for a sweater or a new home to buy or something along those lines. And, and sorry, did you say that hashtags do work well for you or they don't work? They do actually. I've been looking at the data for on our side and it's getting into like maybe a thousand new impressions every single time and our account's still pretty small. I'm pretty happy with the extra eyeballs really at this point, but it really depends on the post in itself as well. If the content was actually something that people were looking for, sometimes we put fluffier stuff up and obviously an audience isn't going to react to that. It Yeah, it depends. But hashtags, as far as I know, are not dead. I don't know if anybody's claiming that quite yet, but I don't feel like it. I, I think you're right. They're not because um, I had a client that had a put out a podcast episode and the guest had mentioned cold plunging, which the host was also into. If you've heard of cold plunging, this whole kind of mm. body optimization thing. Oh, like the freeze it and you're, oh, yeah, you're yeah, jumping yeah, like, into freezing water. Okay. Yeah. Which we can do in Canada all the time if we want yeah. to. But, <laughs> but so the hashtag they put into the, one of their social media posts was cold plunge. And within 24 hours, a cold plunge company that sells cold plungers that you can have in, installed into your house reached out and said, okay. oh, see that you mentioned that. Do you happen to have a product? So the sales and marketing was straight on it, purely from that hashtag. There was no other way, I don't think, that they would have found that, no. that social media post. A lot, hashtags are still relevant. I um, firmly believe that. We're still using them. That says something. So how do you decide the best channel for you to spend money on and from 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 an advertising perspective i think it boils down to the what the product and the service is really at this point if it's more of a direct to consumer type of thing then social is the way to go especially with visual products if you're trying to sell um let's say like a beach towel or something like that people want to see it they want to know if if they can use it they want to see the length of it they want to see the colors they want to see i don't know thickness or something along those lines right so oftentimes Facebook and Instagram are places to go and then you couple it with a little bit of search just because you want to see if those people seeing the ads on the social side are going to end up searching for you on the tail end of Google. If we're talking about real estate, there is opportunity on Facebook, Instagram. I just don't feel like it's a super large market. I would actually rather put my mind towards Google search just because I want to know when people are actively searching that sometimes some people are in a little bit of a rut. So they want to, or not even a rut, in a tough place, I should say, that they're looking to do something very quickly. And if you're on Facebook, Instagram, you might lose that opportunity to possibly be that 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 choice for them. So I would much rather be immediately in front of them where I know that they might be looking on Google or in Bing for whatever I'm trying to sell them at this point. What about the real estate investor that's looking to raise money from a private 
couple, say, for example, professional couple, LinkedIn would seem to make a ton of sense. But I've always understood that LinkedIn advertising is pretty expensive and you need to have a pretty significant upside for it to be beneficial. Is that still the case with LinkedIn? Or? Yeah, for the most part. There are smaller brands that are doing relatively well, but it will cancel what the offer is. So a lot of times I think with LinkedIn, a lot of people go, oh, we can just run ads like we do on Google. And I don't think that's the case. I think you actually really have to offer them something, a checklist, a white paper, a webinar, something along those lines to entice them because the buyer, the B2B cycle, and I'm thinking that this is more B2B than anything else. That cycle is a hundred plus days. So you really need to take that time to actually nurture that relationship. And you can't do that, especially if we're on a B2B type of platform like LinkedIn. We can't quite sit there and be like, yes, we can have this person come to our website and then suddenly they're going to convert. It actually has to take a little bit more time to nurture that audience and that relationship. So it is relatively expensive on all fronts really at this point, because you actually have to wait. Now you don't have to wait the entire day or the hundred plus days, but you have to be aware that it could possibly be a hundred plus days. So then you have to put in the investment of what does this white paper checklist or webinar need to look like? Our follow-up emails, what do they have to look like? That kind of stuff. And then over top of it, the expense of LinkedIn in itself isn't necessarily cheap either if we're comparing it to. So it does start to add up pretty quickly. It can be a great platform for sure. But my true love is Google search. So I will always have a bias. <laughs> yeah, I think the interesting thing with this particular example is that it is business B2C. It's business to consumer because it's a real estate investor looking to raise private funds. And typically it might be somebody who's in working as a teacher and they have RSP funds. But it goes back to your point earlier about the $100,000 or whatever it is. You're going to be talking a significant sum if somebody is going to invest. So they're not going to make that decision like from a couple of clicks and a, a fill in a form. So no, yeah. they're going to want to talk to you for hours on end to figure out if you're actually legitimate or not. But then also making sure that your website has trust authority on there, testimonials, something that gives that person that's that peace of mind. So I, yeah, even just even going to Quest Trade or Wealth Simple and giving them my money is a, a little hard too because I'm like, are you going to, what are you going to do with this? So it's one of those things where these are big syntax companies and I still have a problem giving them my cash. So right. now imagine me giving it to somebody that I don't know to right. invest it and go do something. So you have to really think about that experience. I think a lot of people who are asking for capital sometimes forget that there's another person on the other side of it, or at least that's what I've experienced in the past where they're just like, no, I can make you money. And I'm like, but that's not, that's not it. Like right. you, you actually, you have to consider the fact that I'm giving you this cash, that I'm a human being that could be affected by this. And more often than not, they're just like, they think about the end goal. They don't really understand the start of that journey. So that's the other part for anybody who's looking for capital is really put yourself in those shoes and try to ask yourself what questions they would have. Or if you have experience in gaining that capital, then ask those people again, what made them choose you over somebody else? And then make sure that all of your copy and your content actually just revolves around that. That's a great suggestion. That's a great tip. I hope people were listening to that. Asking people who've already given you money, what, how did they make that decision? What went through mm -hmm. their mind, et cetera? Very good. Very good tip. What about just thinking of kicking off a pay-per-click? Let's take the real estate investor that's looking to buy houses for cash. What are the mm -hmm. first few things that they need to be considering if they're going to embark on a Google pay-per-click? Kind of campaign? Uh, honestly, not a whole lot, really. We work with one person and can get 
I can in Connecticut. There we go. And he's been, I think he's been with us for a year and a half at this point, long enough that I've forgotten how long. And honestly, we don't hear from him. It's amazing. It's actually quite amazing. Only times I will hear him be like, impressions are down, but I'm like, the conversions are up. And I'm, I'll never hear from him ever again. And it's like the most perfect relationship in my mind because you're doing your business. You're handling everything. We got everything handled on this side and we're going to assume that you're happy because you're not reaching out otherwise. For that, it was just having a good solid keyword list really at this point, looking at what his users were searching for. So thankfully, he had Google Search Console, which is a free tool by Google installed on his website. So then what it'll do is actually just collect search search data, basically. Uh, all organic in a sense. What it'll do is be, it'll sit there and be like, okay, this person searched for XYZ and this is how many impressions you got and this is how many clicks you got and this is where you were sitting on the page as well and now we were able to take that list and actually just turn it into what i call a seed list and then i was able to brainstorm after that and then we just keep on expanding afterwards so really i think a lot of people assume that when we go to market we have the full list that we want to be using and that's not the case we actually have maybe 25 percent of that list half 50 percent if we've got a ton of experience in that vertical but the rest of it is just us watching what users are actually searching for and what we actually appeared for and then adding and uh, iterating different versions of that. But then also making sure that we're putting in something called negative keywords, which would help us stop wasting ad spend on search terms that we don't necessarily want to show up for. Uh, so it's a little bit of a delicate balance, but I don't think any campaign ever is launched where they're like, we're not going to touch the keyword list for free. That's just, and if anybody ever says that to you, please run. Keywords are basically our entire lives. We should be looking at that at least on like a weekly, if not bi-weekly basis, depending on how much you're actually spending. So if you're spending quite a bit of money, then we need to be looking at it more frequently. If you're spending a couple hundred dollars or something along those lines, maybe a bi-weekly check is more than enough. Right. I haven't, I hadn't heard that term negative keyword before, but that tape makes total sense. So you're basically mm -hmm. saying not these words. Is that? Yeah. So effectively? sometimes you want to take out like kind of those X rated words that you don't really want to show up for just in case, because sometimes it happens. I've seen right. some really weird search queries before. You want to, there's like a general universal list that I use that we just implement right off the bat, which is cheap, free, those kind of type of words, depending on the brand, we might remove some of them because sometimes they're like, no, we want to show up for that. We want cheap part of our churn. And then we just go from there. And I just take a look, or I should say we should take our, my team and I take a look at the search queries and we'll sit there and be like, is this word a little weird? So we'll look at it as a whole. So sometimes people will put on full on sentences and we'll look at the sentence as a whole and we'll say, does this make sense to negate this entire thing? Or is there a particular word in this that makes more sense to just swipe out completely and i don't know i find joy in it it's a little bit of fun <laughs> i like it when somebody loves what they do <laughs> good. i really do i it's odd a lot of people are just like i don't get it it's okay it's okay <laughs> and how critical is i'm sure i think i know the answer but how critical is writing that little ad because you have very little oh, to say in that. It's actually a little bit better now. They've actually given us quite a few more characters. To I, I, when I started, it was two, was there even two headlines? There might have been two headlines, 30 characters each, and then one 90 character description. And that was our, the, that was all of our ads, literally 150 characters. And then slowly but surely, they started giving us more. And I feel like those numbers are probably wrong. I think it was actually a little bit less. I think it might have been 45 characters, but I'm not. 
It's been so long now that I don't remember. I really don't remember, but I remember it being a, an extreme struggle. And then as the years went on, they introduced the second description line with the 90 characters. And then now they've introduced something called responsive search ads, which is allowing us to do 15 headlines and four descriptions. The, descri- or the headlines are 30 characters, the descriptions are 90 characters. And essentially, Google will just go in and mix and match. So essentially, by writing these 15 and four headlines, we get, I think it's like 48,000 variations of ads out of it. Uh Something like 44 or 48,000, somewhere around there. Um, And it's quite amazing to be able to just put this into Google and just like do your thing. The problem with it is that it's taken away a little bit of our testing abilities to be able to sit there and look at what pieces of the ad actually work. So when we were able to do the ads essentially on our own, we had the ability to do three headlines and two descriptions. And then oftentimes what I would do is change one headline and then have everything else the same. And then I would analyze which one would actually work better. And then I would do that same thing with the descriptions and then just changing one variable at a time to get the perfect ad. And now we don't really have that capability Although there's software out there that actually help figure out which ones are performing better than other ones. And then at least you can go in and manipulate. But it's really interesting that a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people put more focus on the keywords than they do on the ad. But I feel like the entire journey needs to have equal footing. So keywords need to have 33%, the ad to have 33%. And then what you're landing those people on needs to have 33% of your attention. Because like all of it actually makes the big difference in terms of how Google's going to show your ads to people, if they're going to show your ads to people and how much you're paying for them too. So there's something called quality score, which is a score from one to 10. If you get anything low from three and lower, they simply will not show your ad. They literally just go, no, we're not doing it. This is irrelevant to the search query. Something in your process is wrong. We don't want to do it. And that really speaks to Google's B, which is the user, not the advertiser. Yes, we're funding literally their entire business. So it's kind of really funny just to sit there and actually explain that to clients and be like, they don't care. Like that we don't matter in this. And then anything, I think it's our aim is always six or higher because six is like basically the true median. You're paying exactly what you're supposed to be for the ad. Seven, eight, nine, ten actually gets you a discount. And then 5-4 is a little bit of a penalty. So the aim is always around 6. Sometimes we do have to sacrifice quality score just to be able to get the ads up. And sometimes clients have limitations in terms of being able to create better landing pages for us. And it is what it is at the end of the day. We do the best that we can with what we have. But if you have the capability of creating landing pages, it's incredibly important just to do so. What we'll end up doing is just breaking everything by ad groups into little groups of that tightly themed groups, essentially. And then we'll go back and do like create pages around this. And then at least the keyword, the ad, and then the landing page all are speaking that same language. Okay, I got it. I'm just thinking Google's smart because that's quality management, what quality Mm -hmm. control from both aspects, isn't it? It's from you as the advertiser, you're not going to be happy unless you get results. Rejecting the ads that they don't think are going to work makes total sense. But then also from a searching perspective, if I'm a user of Google and I never get what I've I'm looking for, I'm going to go find another search engine. So it's, yeah, I, exactly. I, I can see why they do it. Okay. It's like me searching for like a Porsche and ending up on Honda's website. I would not be happy about that in any way, shape or form. I'd be like, if I did Porsche and maybe, what's it, Aston Martin? I don't know. I'm not a car person. Like maybe that would be like, okay, yeah, this is somewhat okay. I don't really know price ranges 
it, on these cards right. if they're even similar. But yeah, I wouldn't be happy about seeing something that was severely under the budget that I was looking for. But then also if I was a Honda user and I ended up on a Porsche website, I'd be pretty pissed off about that. Very true. Like completely out of my grasp at that point. You mentioned bidding. Is there a whole strategy around bidding and oh, gosh, making yeah. sure? Because I can imagine like the competitiveness for something like a keyword search term like real estate investing is probably going to be significant. There's a, there's basically a strategy for every little piece in Google really at this point, which is probably why I enjoy it so much because I love having to look at it, individual things and get really granular with it. So bidding strategies, there's automated bidding strategies that you can implement. There's also manual ones as well that you can implement. So if you want to manage the entire thing by yourself and control those bids, you're welcome to do so. Um, obviously Google is going to push you to the automated side because they just, they want to control it all. So then there's also the option of doing it based off of impressions, based off of what your cost per click is going to be. You could also do something called maximized conversions, which would essentially tell Google to maximize your conversion. So sometimes originally back in the day, the theory in using that was if you were getting at least, I think it was 30 conversions within 30 days was the suggestion. I think Google was saying 15 and I would always double what their number was. So like, you're not asking for the right amount of data. So I think, I, I think it was 30 or I would tell people 30. I was like, if you get 30 conversions within 30 days, then implement max conversions. Cause then there's enough data for Google to sit there and be like, okay, yeah, we know what this person is supposed to look like in terms of their search query. And then like their own, their own, what's the word for it? Like how they've been navigating through the sites and stuff like that, basically. Um, but now because the search engine is so powerful and just because Google already knows what a lot of industries are doing, you can actually do it right from the start if you wanted to. So if you go for something called maximized clicks, Google is going to try to find the cheapest clicks for you basically. And that's a really great way to get a lot of people on your website, especially if you don't have conversion tracking set up and you don't have the capability because we currently have one client that's in a university right now that doesn't have that capability. They chose MailChimp as their uh, their platform for their landing page. And it's like virtually impossible to actually get the conversion setting set up. And I've tried for literally two to three weeks trying to figure it out. And I just, I had to wash my hands of it. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Cause it really turned into a full-time job of me just like asking every single person I could possibly think of. So for them, maximized clicks made the most sense because at this point, if I can't track the conversion, then I wanna just drive as many people to the website as possibly can and hope for the best really at this point. And then just get feedback from the client in terms of what the quality of that lead is. And if it looks like it's horrible, then maybe go into a manual bid strategy. And if it looks like they're actually happy with it, then we don't touch it and just let them do their thing. So like stuff with real estate, I feel like there's enough data that Google already has in every region that we could start with max conversion. Sometimes a little weary of it. Sometimes I like to go with max clicks first just to see how two weeks that way we collect enough information and then move into max conversion. Um, but yeah, it's really, it just really depends on the brand and what we're actually looking mm. to do and how quickly. But then there's also like this whole notion with PPC where a lot of people are like, turn it on and suddenly I'm going to have a bunch of conversions. And I'm like, unfortunately, it's not quite like that. We like to believe that it's super quick and it can be. But also for agencies, we need about 90 days just to figure out what exactly is actually happening. So a lot of, or I don't know actually about any other agency, but at least for mine, we ask for a 30 day guarantee committed time. And then after that point, it's a month to month agreement. Um, and that's simply because we just need those 90 days to figure out what's working on and their seasonality and random little things that we don't know unless we actually implement the ads first. Yeah. It's a, it, a lot of people sit there and go three months and they'll like, but 
it's better than me possibly waiting for six, seven, eight months on SEO. But at the same time, that's not to say that you shouldn't be investing in SEO. It's just timelines are significantly different. I was going to ask that and you've answered it for me is that what results can you expect, how long it would take? And then how does that compare to SEO? Because that's, I think most people know the SEO, search engine optimization as a term, and they know mm -hmm. they should be doing it. But I think- Yeah, uh, SEO is more of a long-term strategy. I know it's called SEO long-term and PPC short-term, even though we've been working with some brands for literally like four or five years at this point. And that would suggest long-term strategy on a PPC side of things, but it's still something that's still technically short-term. If I wanted to turn off the ads tomorrow, there'd be no ads. Whereas with SEO, if I decided to stop my SEO efforts today, they're still going to continue to pay off years down the road. So that's where you have to look at it, where it's just, okay, do we want an influx of conversions and, and website leads or not even website leads, but just website traffic, which would be the PC side of things, or do we want a slow roll? But then when we stop, do we want to continue reaping the benefits, which would be the SEO side of things? And I, I realize the question I'm about to ask is how long is a piece of string? What would be the kind of minimum uh, investment that somebody should expect to to look at from a PPC campaign or monthly commitment realistically? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. It, the worst answer, I've got the worst answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> it's, yeah. If anyone ever gives you a straight answer in marketing, just know that they probably aren't worth their salt. <laughs> it's really, it really does depend because we have to look at where you are geographically how much competition, what exactly you're looking to do. Are we doing a part of a brand play? Are we doing strictly just bringing in like these warm leads? How long are you planning to do this for? What are the goals in general? So if you're saying, hey, I want five new leads a month, the budget's going to be drastically different than a hundred leads a month. So it, yeah, it really depends. It's really hard to give anybody a range. You can start with something as low as like $500 a month, depending on your area, but you can go as high as 10, 15K sometimes. It really depends on how big your business is. That makes total sense. Any, any final kind of tips or strategies or insights that you can provide for people that are thinking about PPC and that they should consider? I would just say to just do the research and the homework a little bit. Uh, PPC can get really expensive really quickly. And especially if you're going to, if you're planning on doing it by yourself, which is totally fine, but make sure you actually understand each part of it before you go in. Cause the number of people that have come to us and been like, we tried doing it. I walk in $10,000 wasted and I just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. It's astounding, honestly. And that's basically how I started my career was just finding faults in everybody's campaign. And eventually that was just like, literally just spread like wildfire in the city where they're just like, that's the girl you go to when your campaign has gone to, to shit basically. And like, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And we don't have to deal with it as much anymore because I think people are getting a bit more smarter, but making sure that you actually do your research, you understand every component of Google ads and not, I think a lot of people have a good understanding of it as a whole for the most part, but like really understanding keywords and it, its place in the ad, really understanding ads in general, just how to write them and then understanding the landing page, but then also all the bidding options that we have, which is quite a few is incredibly important to each business really at this point. So just figuring out, yeah, it's really just research. Just make sure that you're fully, you feel very confident before you go and press live, go, go live with them. Right. That's what I'm taking away from our conversation is that point that you just made again, and you mentioned it earlier, those three key things. So don't spend all your time trying to figure out the best written ad if you've haven't figured out the keywords or the landing page or and vice versa. Like a great written ad is going to get somebody through the door, but if your landing page doesn't make any sense or isn't really set up for success, then how are people ever going to convert? And then there's the same 
idea on the keyword side of things, if you're choosing keywords that aren't relevant to the user, then your ad's not really going to make sense to that user. Therefore, your page isn't going to make sense to that user. So all of those three pieces really do need to, to be really speaking the same language. A few questions I like to ask guests before we wrap up and let people know where they can find you. Who is a favorite personal brand of yours? Who is it and why do you like them? There is this lady on Instagram. Her name is Nira. I can't say her last name properly, so I'm not going to bother. She is the founder of Stacks Payment. So she is, they recently got an evaluation of $1 billion And she is a 35-year-old mother of two, child of two immigrants, which is something that is obviously very close to my heart because my parents are probably my friends as well. So I really love her personal brand because she is one of very few women to make it to where she is. And I think the stats are 2% of business owners or 2% of women business owners actually make it to 1 million and 18% even make it to six figures. So she's in this space where she has stacks and that she's doing something else on the side where she's like, it's her mission to increase that 2% to 10, 15, hopefully 50 at one point. So I really love her brand. Quite a bit. Okay. Wonderful. I'm going to check her out. Do you have a recommended business book or podcast? I have a recommended VC book. <laughs> okay. Perfect. I love it. And actually, it's just an author. He has two books, and I really love both of them. His name is Kirk Williams. Um, he's been in the industry for, I think, about a decade as well. He founded an agency called Zeto Marketing. I guess technically a competitor, but honestly, I don't. He, I just idolize him so much that I don't really care that much. So I would recommend if you're really into PVC, especially in the, I guess the agency side of it, the one of his books are agent, very agency specific. So I guess that wouldn't imply here, but the other book is basically just about PVC and where he thinks it's going. It's quite a fascinating read. So I would highly encourage that one. Okay, wonderful. And do you have a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? Not really. We For project management, we use Asana and that's how we've been a big fan of, or I've always been a big fan of it. It's not new, but I really love it. <laughs> okay. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires you or motivates you? Yeah, I, it's the why. Oh, gosh. I, sometimes I forget how, what order it goes in. Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. Capitalize on what comes. And that was Zig Ziglar, I believe. Okay, Zig Ziglar. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And that one's always been like my favorite. Where I'm like, okay, prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. See what happens after that. <laughs> It's a good strategy. Like, that might do us well for 2023, I think. That's, uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and how can people find out more about you, Amit, and your company and the services that you offer? Where should people go? Well, for our company website, you can find us at hopskitmedia.com. And if you're looking to learn a little bit more about PPC, we'll post content on Instagram a couple times a week. And that is, in, or not Instagram.com, it's AdWords Girl. A-D-W-O-R-D-S-G-I-R-L. It's a long one I have to remember, but okay. yeah. And then any other social platform, I'm basically AdWords will ever go. But Instagram is where we post most of our content. Okay, we'll make sure that's in the show notes. And thank you for providing such a good insight into PPC and helping people get a better understanding and have yourself a brandtastic day. Awesome, thank you so much. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.